Welcome to the Trauma Resonance Resilience podcast and I'm your host Lisa Cherry and I'm really looking forward to uh, the session today. Um, I feel very somber about what we're talking about and the person I'm talking to, uh, we arranged to do this a number of weeks ago and in the last 24 hours we have found that um, Sarah Everard's body has been found um, and um, a police officer has been named and charged. So I want to start off by warning listeners that there are going to be references throughout this podcast to violence and abuse towards women. Uh, and I would say violence and abuse towards women and children. So if today's not the day for you to listen to this, then uh, take that advice from yourself, because I think it's going to be quite um, an intense podcast. Uh, so let me introduce you to uh, Madeline Black, who has, and I'm going to read her um, bio directly, which I don't normally do, uh, but I want to make sure that I read this in her words. So Madeline Black has an unusual personal story which she uses to inspire and motivate others. She chose to forgive the two men who gang raped her at 13 years old and she shares her story for many reasons. She wants to end the shame, stigma and silence surrounding sexual violence, enabling others to find their voice, whatever their story is. She wants people to know that it's not what happens to us that is important, but what we do with it. She shows how changing her mindset timed her in, tapped into her resilience and transformed her life, making people question their own thinking and encouraging them to see that there are always choices to make. And if we choose to, we can get past anything that happens to us in life, both professionally and in our personal life. She wants to encourage others to live their life courageously too, but ultimately she wants to inspire hope and show people that we are all so much stronger than we think we are. The sharing of her story publicly on the Forgiveness Project's website in September 2014 opened many doors for Madeline in ways she never imagined, and the invitations started to pour in. Many women and men got in contact and explained how reading her story gave them strength, hope, and a different perspective of what's possible in their lives. She's taken part in both TV and radio interviews and has been interviewed to share her story of being gang raped as a teenager at conferences, book events and schools. She recognises that she was a victim of a crime that left her silent for many years, but she has now found her voice and intends to use it, not just for her, but for so many others who can't find theirs yet. She has won several awards and is also a two times TEDx speaker. Please welcome Madeline to the podcast. Hello, Madeline. Hi, Lisa. Lovely to be here with you. It's so lovely to have you here. And of course, we did book this weeks ago and it just feels so poignant that we're having this conversation today. And I want to open up with you with a hashtag that I think both of us feel really uncomfortable about and I just want the hashtag is she was just walking home and I want to ask you were you just walking home? I wasn't just walking home I had gone to a cafe 
with a friend. Both of us had lied about where we were staying, which I'm sure most teenagers have done at one point in their lives. We're literally staying with her grandma, but her, her mum was away, so we went back to her empty flat and we bought a bottle of vodka, which I've never been able to drink or even smell again. And I was 13, so literally half the size I am now. I'd never drunk before and it didn't take me long to get drunk. You know, soon I was just chucking up all over the place and two of the young men at our table put us into a taxi to take us back to her her friend's mum's empty flat. Yeah. And, and I think that when we see a hashtag like that, there's still something about it that it's about her. She was just walking home. And that is what is so ingrained in our culture, this notion that it's about her in some way. Yeah, all the language, she was raped, she was murdered, she was walking home. We don't say a man raped a woman, a a man murdered someone. It's always she was. And yeah, I I feel very uh, uncomfortable with that hashtag, she was just walking home. So if she was a sex worker and she was leaving her place of work that night, would we look at it differently? Or if she had been drunk and was coming home from a club, just because she was walking home, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. You know, women are murdered, raped in all types of circumstances, not just on a walk home. In fact, it's only accounts for about 8% of murders of women are by a stranger on a walk home most women will know their attackers because home really is not the safest place for a lot of women yeah and when I read your bio I mean it's really I'm I'm imagining lots of women are listening to this and I think like you sharing about experiences is always about supporting challenging empowering, inspiring, enabling people to be able to talk about things that are really difficult to talk about. And and you'll know that I I talk about all sorts of things, but I haven't ever talked about that stuff. And your 13-year-old experience, I had that 13-year-old experience, right down to the bottle of vodka, being away, having lied about where I was, all of that stuff. And I wonder how many women have these experiences and somehow they just sit one on top of the other until there is, you know, I mean, if we think about violence towards children in that way, which we both were, um, how, how that is normalized uh, within and then carried into uh, early adult relationships uh, and things that we might accept that 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 are unacceptable, and and the the whole spectrum of that um, from start to finish, how that creates these narratives um, that support a power dynamic that's so entrenched that the Met Police have silenced women even expressing their sadness. 
sadly, I know my story is not uncommon and it became even more obvious once I started to speak out because so many people would say, gosh, you could be writing my story. I, I lied, I had this, I did that, or I found myself drunk in the gutter one night, it could have been me. And I had even hid memories from myself because we know our mind just shuts down trauma. And only when I was writing my book in my late um, early 50s that uh, I discovered I'd been raped three more times before I was 18. Very different to the first time, but it's never about comparison. It doesn't matter if it was less violent or more violent because it's all a total violation of our body, regardless of the level of violence used. And I thought, I didn't know that. And a lot of people will say to me, they, they really resonate with those chapters, which is called And Again, And Again, And Again, um, in my book, because they went, I, I never thought that was rape. I just said no, and he carried on. I went, did you consent? Did you agree? Well, no, I just thought it would be easier just to go along with it. So all of these ways that we minimise it, you know, and it really became obvious as I was writing about it more that, gosh, that's five men now that have raped me. Um, and I, I never saw that for years, for years. So, yeah, sadly, my story is your story. Your story is somebody else's story. Everyone I know has a story of inappropriate behaviour or sexual assault to some level. I mean, the Guardian did an article yesterday. It said 97% of all young women, I just think the 3% just clicked the wrong button by mistake. I think 100% of all women will have experienced something that has made them feel really not safe. And why, why are we talking about this now? Mm. I mean, you know, what's what's different? I mean, it's a very provocative question because we we can see what's different. You know, when you're when you're when you're thinking about why we're able to talk about this, why there is a fundraiser from Reclaim These Streets that has the well, I looked just a, a few moments ago and it was up to ninety thousand. It's fantastic raising funds for different women's services. Do you think that all women would have provoked such a response? Again, would all women? Would all women that this had happened to? Because I, I'm not so sure. I mean, you've already alluded to that. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because unfortunately what happened to Sarah I think is unusual it's not common and then there is a police officer who's now been charged um so it is it's sensationalism isn't it it's drama you know the thousands of women that are raped every night in their homes we don't talk about them or the women that are at risk or the children that are at risk this has been going on all the time so why do we identify with this young 33-year-old pretty white woman walking home one night when we can't identify with all the other millions of women. Both cases are tragic, but uh, it's been going on for so long already. Why? I don't understand why we've suddenly woken up to this one and we haven't woken up to everything else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I think, you know, when we're thinking about class, race, context you know there is unfortunately a hierarchy of around which which lives matter isn't it to yes. kind of coin that phrase but I I honestly think that there is a moment here um that you know something is shifting I think lots of things are shifting um 
I think uh, the pandemic has just brought to the fore and flipped in the air all the things that are not okay in the world. And um, I think this is a moment in time. I hope, I really hope. So too, I really do. It would be, I mean, a lot of people are posting about it. Social media is flooded with it. Friends of mine, male and female, are posting about it, some for and some against, um, you know, some very misogynistic view saying, well, we are the, they are the weaker sex, they should stay. And you think, well, no amount of safety advice is going to change the issue because the issue is not with women. The issue is with men. And it's not about staying home or protecting yourself or becoming kick-ass, you know, karate, whatever, which I am anyway, but it's not about safety advice. It's about men not raping and murdering us. Mm. And some of that is about, I guess, how men collude with one another and I think what we are going to find um with this Met Police case is collusion we've all there's a I I can't quite pick up what's going on but two other officers have been arrested around an indecent assault I think I think what's going to unravel is some kind of collusion um that we might argue is um is about systemic misogyny in the Met Police. Might might we? Might we suggest that that's uh, possible? In the Met Police, I think, I mean, it's been a bit of a week, really, obviously, with Megan and Harry's interview. We've seen classism, racism, sexism, misogynistic behaviours are really not far from the surface. It is, you know, it's really ingrained in our society and it doesn't take much for it all to come rising up. We've seen it all this week, which I think is why some ways it's very exhausting being a woman and speaking out against this again. But in some ways it just shows me, yeah, we've still got a lot of work to do, <laughs> a lot of work. Mental health, anti-mental health. I mean, it's been everything this week. I think that's why I woke up this morning just so exhausted. I literally just, and this just kind of felt like it sits on top of so much, you know, and um, it's intense right now. It's really intense and that highlighting of everything that you're talking about, if that interacts with your experience in any kind of meaningful way, you're going to be really feeling tired right now. And I do honestly think that rest is a radical act. <laughs> you know, that we have to rest sometimes, don't we, from... Yeah, I would absolutely take a break from social media if it's, if it's making you upset, angry, triggered. But I think, uh, you know, I know in the beginning when the first lockdown happened, so many people got in contact to say that all these memories are re resurfacing and returning. What do I do? How do I stay okay with it? Because I think when we're forced to isolate and be with ourselves, all the games that we play, which is our survival tactics of avoiding and distracting, we can't do that anymore. So, so many people had trauma just resurfacing, unprocessed trauma. So I think this just taps into all that unprocessed trauma and you see it from where you're, from where you're at. I think that's such a, an important point for anyone who's listening. Um, and of course, one of the ways that you might notice that trauma is resurfacing in that way is if you are um 
self-medicating in some way. Um, you're drinking more. You're perhaps taking drugs, whether they're legal or illegal. You're perhaps um, excessively online shopping or something that tells you, that indicates to you that you are trying to suppress stuff that's coming up. And, and all I can say is that um, if that's happening, um, there are places that you can call for help. And actually, alcohol and drug abuse has gone up hugely during the pandemic. And because I see addiction and um, alcoholism as a, a, a public health issue rather than a criminal issue, then um, that lens tells me that that's about dealing with unresolved, unprocessed trauma. Absolutely, I've did it for years <laughs> to numb out and to not feel and to not think. But a lot of people have told me as well they've got a lot of unwanted images, a lot of unwanted memories. It's hard to sleep again, waking up, not even being able to get to sleep. So that all suggests as well it's all unprocessed. And it's in some ways it's really good that it's coming up because it shows you where your work is. But and then it's really tough because you think, well, that's exactly where my work is. <laughs> so it's a real paradox, isn't it? It's it's really tough to get these memories coming back, especially when you didn't choose for them to come back when they have. It's kind of I think they've been brought up because of the situation. I don't know if that would they would naturally occur right now or not. Who knows? And it's knowing where to go. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm always very grateful if something shows up for me to deal with, you know, because I've spent years dealing with what shows up. I'm very comfortable with that. It's not frightening. I know that that's work to do. But if that you're at the beginning of that journey, then it might well be frightening. And also, where do you go? Where do you go when those things come up? And I'm the same as you. I just say, okay, that's a little bit of residue left behind. That's exactly where I have to dive into and clean up. I feel like I'm just draining the swamp. <laughs> Hopefully one day it'll be drained. Yeah. And I guess, you know, staying with that theme, that's where we're at, I think, um, as a society, you know, whatever's it's showing up and you can feel people wanting to hold on to what some people have called the old order, but you can feel people wanting to hold on to that rather than release it and think about, okay, what is a new way of being? Because this way of being does not work for most people and hasn't done for a very, very long time. Um, so how do we think about how we move forward? You know, and I, I, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that. It is really hard to know how to move forward. I think what we really need to do is kind of go backwards to education to really start from the young, young, young age, nursery, primary, about consent, healthy relationships, respect, um, because it's it's an issue for all of us. It's not just a woman's issue. You know, violence against women is violence against humanity. It affects all of us. We bring men into the world. You know, it's, <laughs> they're born because of us. So it affects everyone. Um, but the one thing that has been good, not that I don't agree with that we need to change, give out any safety advice, but for men to really understand what it is like for women. So all the women that are posting about, you know, my mum told me to put my, my keys in my fingers, have a copy of a magazine in my bag so I can slice their face or have some spray that I could spray them with or, you know, looking over my shoulder, crossing the road. The texting, and I do that as well, texting when you're home, texting when I do it to my kids and even friends do, you know, let me know when you're back and I'll let you know when I'm back. It's so normal, isn't it? Yeah, 
I certainly remember walking with keys in between my knuckles. Um, quite quite what I'd have done with them, I don't know, dropped them, I suspect. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, all of those little things that you do without even thinking that are about keeping yourself um, safe. Um, this is already a very different interview than the one I had in mind when I asked you to come on the podcast um, in the sense that you know, I'm really interested in your, you know, there's there's that moment. And I suppose I say this, I'm asking you this because we share that similar space really, which is there was a moment where we had to write our story, but there was also equally a moment where we didn't care if it was public or not. Um, And because we both have written in, in, in published works about those things. And, um, I'm wondering what that journey looked like for you and if it, if it, if there are similarities but what what was that moment and how did that kind of come to be Yeah so for a long time um I did maybe speak out but you know if they asked could they take a photo could they put my name in no way so you know I would be one of those silhouetted faces in a newspaper magazine Madeleine whatever 40 London that's all it said I took part in a campaign for rape crisis Scotland that said, this is not an invitation to rape me. I was happy to share my story, but, and that was still the shame from that trauma. It was just huge, the, the idea of people knowing what had happened. But you know, it's a process. It's not It's not um, a sprint, is it really? It's, it's a marathon. It takes a long time to heal. And I was actually um, in Scotland where I live in Glasgow and somebody from the Forgiveness Project had come up to speak and normally all their events are in London, an amazing woman called Marion Partington who wrote a book, If You Sit Very Still. So her sister Lucy had been murdered by Rose and Fredworth, the serial killers. And just as she was speaking, you know, I just saw the impact that she had on the audience. Um, She just emanated this piece. It was just amazing. And I bought her book at the end of the night and she inside she'd written, now you must speak. And I thought, yeah, I could do that actually. And, and I thought, where has that come from? If you told me that years ago, I'd never believe it. And the, mo- the moment I made that decision, the words disappeared literally at night. I couldn't sleep. They'd all be flying around my head and I would just sit down and write them. And then about eight weeks, there were like 70,000 words. And I thought, kind of like a book now. I thought, I can get a publisher, and I was very lucky. Something has always supported me. I don't know where it's coming from. And about three, four months later, I had a contract. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. It's uh, When I first shared it but with, with, with the Forgiveness Project 2014, I just thought, I'm so tired of hiding, so tired of being ashamed for a crime that's committed against my body that had nothing to do with my clothing or the alcohol I drank or being in a bar and not telling my parents it just came down to the fact these two men chose to rape me but that journey I say it very flippantly has taken a lot of time for me to work that out and now I don't have any shame anymore because I'm I'm not what they did to me I, you know I'm not the events in my life I'm all of us are so much more than what happens to us I'm I'm not my body um you know so now I just think if I can speak out, it's almost my duty. I feel a responsibility because I know what that shame is like. It's so crippling and disabling, you know. It just held me back for so many years that now I won't be quiet anymore. I can't be, you know. It's just, uh, 
taken a long time to find my voice, but now I think it is my power or it's my purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think there is something very particular about shame when it intersects with stigma as well. There's something about carrying um, shame of, of a whole range of events. I mean, I was I was drowned in shame, literally drowned in shame, being born out of wedlock and to a 20-year-old who, you know, then had to have me in a mother and baby unit and my gran was a Catholic and you can just imagine I mean the shame was just profound in 1970 for those experiences and so every situation thereafter was just a compounding of that sense of shame and and a number of those things intersected with uh with stigma and in fact I think all of those things did so you're not just grappling with the sensation of shame and unworthiness. You're grappling with that in the context of society deciding that, you know, there's some that, that you're also not worthy because, you know, let's face it, babies born outside of wedlock used to be called bastards. And, um, you know, then thinking about uh, whether you're, you know, using alcohol alcoholism drug addiction being in care being imprisoned using mental health services being assaulted um, being abused as a child I mean all of these things and you just see the layering of all of those experiences and then how society chooses to see them I mean do you think we're at a point where because people will speak out and because there is social media and because um silence is no longer an option for so many people that we're actually at a point where that's an opportunity to reduce stigma and say you know that this is this is part of this has been part of human experience yeah well the irony is we, we've stigmatized all of the issues that you spoke about yet so many people fall into those categories i mean who doesn't know someone that's had mental health issues or being sexually assaulted and it's kind of the good and the bad thing about social media, especially right now, people, women are listing the so many ways they've been assaulted, you know, started at 10 and this one flashed at me and this one, you know, groped me and this one did this. And there's lists and lists. So in some ways it's great to see they're so open and in some ways it's so depressing to see just the reality of what we have to go through on a daily basis, really. Just, I mean, it's different now in lockdown because I don't really go out. <laughs> so um, we're not really exposed to that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real paradox, isn't it? You know, we have all of these issues, and yet most people will have experienced these issues. I wonder if the, the whole idea around women's sexual violence and abuse is... Um, is something that is so shared. I mean, like you've just said, if you wrote a list, you know, if I wrote a list of all the things that had happened from the age of eight um, in relation to abuse by men, uh, violence by men, that's a, that's a very long list. I mean, right the way through, I mean, I'm talking about the little stuff and the big stuff, right? Luckily, the big stuff, there isn't huge amounts of the big stuff. The little stuff goes on and on and on. You know, not being able to go out for a walk, being catcalled continuously um, and then being called names when you don't turn around. You know, um, 
all of that stuff and all of the control over your sexual behavior, the way you, uh, the type of relationships you might have, what sort of relationships are acceptable and what are not, all of that noise just kind of travels with you across your life. And if it, if it sits with all of that other stuff, it's, it's very messy. It's a very messy space to unpick. It's so entrenched a lot of it, isn't it? It's so messy, isn't it? And so many of us have had this this messy journey. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know who they are at all. I don't know if you have any ideas how we, where do, where, how do we make change? I mean, maybe this is great, maybe because it is bringing it all up, people will become more aware and aware and the good men will really pay attention because we need allies, we need people on our side. It's not a women's issue, as I said before. It's on all of us. It really is. Mm, I agree. And in terms of, you know, having the answers to these really big questions, I don't have the answers either. But I do know that by keep talking about stuff, I do know that by understanding trauma and having a trauma lens um, as a way of understanding um, systems, uh, people, services, the way that everything is designed is almost designed in ways that facilitate harm Uh, in this way the more we highlight that the more we talk about that the clearer we get about what we will and won't accept anymore the more we work together the more we stand together and are connected together we make a difference I mean just as I said earlier just thinking about the um the the fundraiser uh, next time I look who knows what that'll be at you know we're not standing here alone we're standing here together um and as you say, with many men, you know, men who are brave and courageous and will acknowledge that they are operating within the system of patriarchy and misogyny and that stand up and say, I don't want to be in that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something different. Yeah. Oh, we definitely need more men on our side. Absolutely. It shouldn't be about sides. Yeah. We need to... I don't know. I don't have the answers either, but I, I feel like you say this is a shift. Something feels very different. This, there's a lot of anger and a lot of sadness around at the moment. Um, but yeah, it feels like a shift, hopefully in the right direction. Thank you so much, Madeline. I am going to make sure that there are lots of links in the episode notes. Um, and, you know, at the risk of sounding like a news item, if, if you've been... Um, if you've been affected by any of the issues that we've talked about here, please um, take a look at the links and um, also get in touch, you know, with either me or Madeline, but get in touch with local services that can help you. Madeline, you were keen that there was another service that was mentioned, I think. Was that rape crisis? Yeah, rape crisis, um, UK-wide or Scottish-wide or England, to be a national helpline number. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. You're welcome. Thank you.